Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Bandon, Manitoba. The Uchelmiuch here are Dakota, Cree, Anishinaabe, and um, Métis peoples. And also, I think, Cascadene, far up north of Manitoba. So I'm coming to you today with the fifth season of Teachings in the Air. In this season, the series is all going to be about strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. And the title of this podcast today is called Witness. And, um, you know, the witness is the one that, um, you know, has knowledge from experience or can see the, how events have witnessed, how events have created a way for the people. You know, and of course, in the courts, they say a witness is someone that's seen someone do a crime, you know, done something wrong. So I wanted to call this podcast Witness, because I have a special guest with me today who has knowledge from personal experience internationally. That's so exciting for me. He saw the sequence of events that led to where we are today as Indigenous people. Just like myself, I'm a witness to, you know, and I, the whole goal of teachings in the air is motivation and inspiration to healthy living and healing, and also to promote indigenous values, principles, and methodologies, because those have worked for our people for thousands upon thousands of years. You know, before contact, I've told this to people all across Canada and in the United States. Before contact, Indigenous people were very healthy. And the word health in a dictionary means to be sound in mind, body, and spirit. And the Indigenous people were healthy. I could remember um, one of my teachers telling me that when Christopher Columbus seen the Taino people in the Caribbean. They're the he's the first one that's seen, well, the Vikings may have, but my teacher was telling me that Christopher, when he seen the Taino people, he goes under his breath, Endeos. And he was saying those people look like gods, you know, because they're straight, they're healthy looking. And he'd look at his crew and they're suffering from scurvy, from bad diet and stuff like that. So, you know, I needed to have that point of reference of a healthy nations. And I got it from the elders and from reading books and from hearing speakers talk about our people. I was listening to young indigenous researchers, doctors at an international conference in Vancouver. 
And they were studying our people, you know, through the, the bones and stuff, you know, and they were saying in their studies, they saw that the indigenous people did not have degenerative <coughs> diseases in their system before contact. That, that's heart disease, you know, those sicknesses that ravage the body today. So where we come from is a very healthy people, sound in mind, body, and spirit. And there are so many stories, there's so much history that prove that. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about strong mind, strong body, and strong spirit is so that the listeners that haven't been exposed to traditional knowledge and teachers can be exposed when they listen to this podcast. So, you know, to listen to a witness, to someone that has been involved with the people as individuals, families, and communities. I mean, that's where the real way of knowing comes from, to go into the mix, to go with the people, whether it's in ceremony or living in the community or in the streets. You know, you witness what's going on when you can see. And I'm so lucky as to have had my vision restored to a traditional way of seeing by elders. Because at one time, it, as uh, one of my teachers, you're walking around like your hands in front of your face, you know, you, you can only see your hand, you can't see light. And I knew that was true. So they, like they took my hand away and I could see the world all of a sudden. I could see the beauty and feel it. But it took um, healing work and teachings to achieve that. So part of witnessing the seeing the impacts of cross-cultural trauma, you know, and some people will call it colonization, some others, I just say it's cross-cultural. Two cultures came together and, you know, and we never did really mix. So it's with great pleasure for me today to welcome my guest, Lee Brown. You know, he's been a keynote speaker. I don't know how many conferences, literally hundreds probably, you know, visited communities, been called across the ocean. He's a writer. He's a ceremonial person. And I have tremendous respect for this man, for his spiritual values and principles has been a role model for me personally in my life, you know, and I've seen the knowledge that he carries and how he carries himself, you know, so I just like you to introduce yourself, Lee, to the people. And um, I have some discussion topics or questions after your introduction. Okay. Thanks, Jerry. I'd like to add strong heart. Not a strong mind, strong body, strong heart, you know, because my whole thing is about the heart and the energies of the heart. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say that your song reminded me of Uncle Pete. Mm -hmm. And I thought we might start with a little conversation. If that's something you want to do, talk. I have a couple of stories about Uncle Pete that are, that are cool, I think. <clears throat> so my name is Lee Brown, and I'm a Cherokee person. I was born for the Wolf Clan. And my spiritual name is Seinusti, Seinusti, which means somebody that brings a message through dreaming or through singing. And I'm happy to be here with Jerry today to share some talk and discussion. Well, I had the fortune of living with my grandparents the first five or six years of my life. And then my father came home from the Korean War and I started living with my parents and it was a whole nother ball game. My, my parents were alcoholics and I started living in an alcoholic home and experiencing the, the things that people experience in an alcoholic home. And one of the things I experienced was malnutrition. And it led to the diseases of malnutrition, rheumatic fever, and other serious illnesses, including an 
internal heart affection and came to a crisis when I was 12 years old and when I should have been returning to school for eighth grade, I wasn't able to, to go to school anymore and I had to stay stay home. I was laying in our house and I, I laid there for about a year and I had a, I had a life-changing experience where I made the journey. I'm not going to talk too much about that today, but I made the journey to the next world and it gave me a foundation of knowing you know, with absolute certitude that there is a spiritual world by going there and coming back. When I came back, I, I came back with one thought, you know, one thought, which has been the foundation of my whole life in many ways, uh, foundation of everything I've, I've done. And the, and the thought was, what would it take to be healthy? What would it take to be whole? You know, what would it take for my family to be healthy? What would it take for my nation to be healthy again? That healthy uh, people that we used to be with long life, good health. What would it take for the world to be healthy? You know, the, we have the incredible medical system here in Canada. And yet, in, by almost every health pr- parameter, we're getting sicker. There's more diabetes. There's more cancer. Cancer rates are increasing one half to 1% a year. I had the wonderful opportunity to work with the Alternative Care Cancer Clinic at Vancouver General Hospital and, and uh, look at alternative cares for cancer that integrate with chemo and radiation. And, but the, the, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful place. But the fact is, is that I learned there that cancer rates are increasing uh, in all populations and uh, cancer rates, you may, you may know this, Jerry, in, in 1950, in Canada, the cancer rate among Native people was less than 1%. I mean, it was, it was just zero. Diabetes was less than 1%. In a study of 3,000 Natives in Saskatchewan in 1952, I think it was, not one had diabetes. Not one had cancer. And now these things are just rampant in our communities. That's happened in the last 50 years. Now, we, we have an incredible healthcare system, but we're getting sicker. What would it take for us to become healthy? As a teenager, you know, struggling, eventually I went back to school. I, I was in a weakened state and uh, I was looking for health. You know, I thought about health every day because I was unhealthy. And as a teenager, I don't know how I got the idea, but I thought if I could become a singer, I could, it would improve my health. And so I began the process of, I petitioned the elders to become a singer and I was accepted and began setting at the drum. You know, I've been setting at the drum all my life. I've been setting at the drum for more than 50 years now. And I think you're really blessed if you can sing. And singing became my personal path of healing. And it, it, it has helped me. I, I believe myself that whenever you're around the drum, healing is possible. Even with social songs, but especially with the, the healing songs, you know, even more so. And especially when the, the songs are in places of ceremony where the energy and, and, the, and the, uh, the energy of healing is there. And it, it's interesting, I'll share this with you, that you mentioned uh, health is being sound, you know, and how important sound is, I mean, actual sound and health and how important tone you know, I, I just for the sake of the, what I want to say now, I did a PhD in emotional uh, education, educating the heart. And <clears throat> so I learned that the, for instance, you know, the heart has a choice of about 1400 chemicals, biochemicals that can choose to go into the bloodstream based on, on what you're feeling. And a lot of that, that law that is based on sound. So if you give out a really mean yell right now, your heart's going to pump adrenaline. Adrenaline is good if you need it. It's not good if you don't need it. The people are in multi-generational trauma where they're pumping adrenaline all the time, and many of our people are. That's not healthy. And so the tone of your voice <clears throat> affects the tone of your muscles, the six muscle structures in the face. And based on what those muscle structures are doing, the heart also makes choices about 
chemicals it puts into the bloodstream that affect the kidneys, the liver, the pancreas, that affect our total health system. So by changing your tone, <clears throat> the tone of your voice, you change your muscle tone and your muscle tone and your voice tone have an incredible impact on what's happening in your bloodstream, which is, you know, the, the, literally the flow of your personal health. And so by, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years of my life, I've really paid attention to the tone of my voice. When my daughters were living with me at UBC, I remember when my youngest daughter, Dina, was there. One day I, I said something a little sharply to her. And I said, oh, my girl, you know, that, I'm, I'm sorry, dad used the wrong tone there. Let me say that over again with a, with a more healthy tone. So I repeated the sentence that I, I don't know, maybe I was a little angry or something that day, but I repeated the sentence in a different voice tone because I want to give out a tone that is, is healthy, you know, and, and, you know, so health means being sound, sound. And that's why songs are so important. They have been for me in my personal healing process. Songs never let me down. No matter how bad you feel or what's happening in your, in your life, you know, things happen. Uh, you sing for a while, you feel better. You change your emotional state. And when you change your emotional state, you change your, what's in your bloodstream. And when you change what's in your bloodstream, you change the health of, your, of all the organs of your body. And so being healthy does mean being sound. And my grandfather, you know, he was a quiet man, but he said some incredible things to me at different times. And one of the things he said to me one time, he said, grandson, the essence of our being, what we actually are as human beings is sound. We are sound. We're part of the universe, the one great sound, you know, and we're each of us individually, we're a tone. And the tone that we have, the tone that we give our body to the tone that we use our voice, you know, and one of the things you know is that when people, when they get on a spiritual path, a lot of times the tone of their voice changes, you know, and they, there's, a lot of people that since I've been into this, there's, there's a lot of people that I just have to walk away from or uh, because the, t the tone of many people, if you really listen to people's tone, a lot of people are harsh. And the thing is that their tone not only affects their health, it affects your health as well. So I don't know if I ever told you, Jerry, but when I did my PhD, I, I read this book called the, the Heart Code, and it's about heart transplant patients. It's about psychoneuroimmunology. You know, when I was young and going to powwows, there was a, a Pawnee man from Oklahoma, Bert Peters, he used to MC powwows. And you know, sometimes in the powwow, he'd use a big word. He'd say, oh, that's a big word. Did I say that? Oh, we're getting educated, we're getting educated. You know? and and Bert did. He, he got a college degree, which in the 1950s and 60s was an amazing thing for an American Indian to get a college degree. You know, he was an educated man. He was a teacher. He was a school teacher. And he'd say, did I say that? Oh, that's a big word. That's, like, that's how I kind of feel about psychoneuroimmunology. <laughs> that's, that's a big word. But what it means is, you know, dealing with people's hearts and their heart transplants. And there's a the whole book really is about stories of people that received transplants by the psychoneuroimmunologist Paul Purcell. And there's, there's a, some interesting stories. The most interesting story is the heart transplant of a 10-year-old girl who received the heart from another girl in another city. And you know when you receive a heart, you receive no information about the donor. And, uh, but she began dreaming about the donor. And unfortunately, the girl that had donated the heart had been murdered. And she began dreaming about the murder, including Jerry. And this is amazing. And this is in the book. I mean, it's in writing. The actual name of the murderer. 
she dreamed the actual name of the murder of the girl that the heart came from, who had gotten away with it. And Paul called the police station in that town and told him the dream. And the guy was eventually arrested and convicted on the basis of this girl's dream who had received the heart. So that is what in the native world we call heart knowledge. The, the knowledge, and I believe our heart and our entire body inherit, inherits knowledge from the last seven generations. When you talk about multi-generational trauma, we carry a portion of what our parents experienced in our hearts. We carry a portion of what our grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents went through in our hearts. But another interesting thing about this book that I want to relate, because I'm hoping you include in your introduction the, the idea of the strong heart. Paul Purcell in his, in his career developed a test to measure heart resonance. It's a simple test, it's 25 questions. But based on these 25 questions and the score that you get, he can predict heart disease. I've been giving that test to teachers in the province of British Columbia for the last 10 or 15 years. And to make a long story short, a score of less than 10 is really good. 10 to 20, not so good. 20 to 30, your emotions are starting to affect your health in not a good way. 40 to 50, even more so. 40 to 50, your emotions are starting to affect the health of people around you. And I was doing a teacher training at United Indians of All Tribes in Seattle one time, and I had a, about 80 teachers in my workshop that morning, and, oh, and the elder of the day came in, you know, a native woman, native elder. And when I saw her, you know, and I don't see things like this, but I, I couldn't help it. She was bright, and she had a light around her about seven feet on each side. I thought, this is an amazing person. She was the first person of the thousands of teachers I've tested that scored under 10 on the emotional toxicity test. Every beat of her heart, she's radiating healing energy. Because whatever, you know, if you get a high toxic score, every beat of your heart, you're, you're, you're radiating toxicity to your loved ones, to your, to your partner, to your children. And so this book changed my life because I decided that I wanted to have a healthy heart. I didn't get a really bad score. I think I was in the 30s, but I wanted to be under 10. I want a heartbeat that's healthy. I want to radiate health to my children, to my partner in life. I want to radiate health. I want my, you know, and one of the things I came to realize is that we're responsible for our heartbeat. I'm responsible for the health of the toxicity of my own personal heartbeat. And, the, and you know, I see people in these <clears throat> political, you said that this is not about politics, and I'm not going there, but you see people so in such rages over relatively small things, you know, not, not big deals. They're not being, you know, it's not the, it's not the Sand Creek massacre. It's whether you're going to wear a mask or not. <laughs> you know, it's, and, you know, I'm not putting anybody down, but you know that the toxicity of their heart is extreme. I mean, the average score of a teacher that I've tested in this province in the last 10 or 15 years, the average score is 53. That's not good. Yes. That's not good. Our, our children are sitting in classrooms with, in which emotional toxicity is present. So how are we going to get well? How are we going to get healthy? So as a result of the book, The Heart Code, I changed the tone of my life. I changed the speed of my life. Because emotions relate to speed. You know, anger is fast. Peacefulness is slow. That one fact right there can change your life. Because if you want a more peaceful life, slow down. If you find yourself getting angry, you know, if you're diving down the road, you never have to have road rage again. Something happens. Slow your car down. You won't go into a rage. Speed up, you might. You know, and... Uh, just knowing that one emotional principle of health, to have a strong heart, that by slowing down, by changing your tone, those two things, by changing your voice tone. Anyway, interesting thing that I mentioned, the face has six muscle structures. 
if you fake a smile, you know, Bruce Lee said that when you're joking, your body doesn't know. Body takes everything you say seriously. And then this heart, heart code, I think was there, it was in one of the books I read with, relating to heart research. If you fake a smile, you're not really happy, maybe you're down, but you decide just, you know, just fake a smile. The heart reads that as, oh, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty, it's the, the face muscles are smiling. So it puts healthier things in the bloodstream until you actually feel like smiling. So you can't fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, you know, Lee, and I'm, I'm listening to you here and I'm, like I'm hanging. But I, when you said Uncle Pete, yeah, yeah, you know, that sound when we went picking medicine for our for the calls. Yep. I drove them up, you know, way up high where the moose are and stuff in the springtime. He said, okay, boy, we're going to pick, pick medicine. We'll put it in a bucket in the sweat lodge, you know, and heat it up. I said, okay. So we started walking and he was singing. Yeah. He says, this is the way I thank the, the, the plants and things where we're getting the medicine. Yeah. He says, I sing. Mm -hmm. So music has been actually it was the start of my healing yeah because um my i had identity problems and yeah. then uh 1975 or somewhere in there i heard these men and women singing around a fire and i could feel that sound go into me and wake up my myself but i went and stood at the edge and then feel confident, then feel that I had the right to be part of that music. Yeah. And one of the men there, an American Indian movement, that's who they were. Yeah. He's seeing me and he nods and calls me over. So I go over and he says, You can sing with us. I said, I don't know how to sing. He says, Well, you fake it till you make it. It's like what you're saying. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if you don't know a song, Trying to sing it is the only way to learn it. Yeah. Really, you we're all start from the same place, right? Yeah. I was thinking that the introduction I was giving, you know, wasn't really about tradition, but but it's important to remember that you know native communities are communities of heart. The world is blessed because native communities have held the heart knowledge to the age of the mind. But now we're entering, I believe, the age of the heart the age of the mind is is winding down and we're going to be entering the next couple of thousand years will be more about the heart and and communities of heart will come forward you know in leadership and we're blessed that we have these gems which are native places where by gems i mean native communities that have held the teachings of the heart for humanity it's a great thing well i'm sold there, Lee, there's going to be strong heart, strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. This, yeah, yeah. this series of podcasts are, are going to be called that now. And I thank you for that reminder because when I was listening to um, a Navajo elder down in the United States, I went down there for a conference and he was talking about living the beauty way of life. Yeah, beauty way, yeah. Yeah, and he says, above you, beside you, below you, behind you, underneath you. You live the beauty way and you get to it tomorrow and you look back, what do you see? He says, beauty way. I was going, whoa. You know, I said, I want to live that way. And, it, and uh, then I hear teachings like, be careful and sincere with your words. Mm -hmm. That elder was saying because it can be like a bullet leaving the gun, like and you're talking about the tonality, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that so to have people that are expressive and sincere mm -hmm. is healing. Mm -hmm. I, I read that there's um, a music note for every organ of our body. And I, and I know that our people knew this. They'd use rattles, drums, flutes, voice mm -hmm. as part of their healing methodologies and initiations. Mm 
yeah. to wake up the spirit. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I became aware of, and now that we talk about strong heart, is um, how people's lives became hateful to them personally. Mm -hmm. Because of history, because of what they're hearing in the air. You know, the, that image that was created for us as Indigenous people, as um, inferior, stupid Indian, lazy, crazy, drunken, all of those things came through the air. And it hit the young minds. And I think of the babies that heard those words in the air and the tonality with it. That's a weakening energy. So we need to reverse yeah. that. And when you said universe, I, I, I understood because I, I understand universe means one song. One song, that's right. Yeah. I just think of that whole universe is one song. <laughs> you know, it's sort we're, of... We're, we're a note in the one song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. are a note in the one song. Each of us is notable. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool because even when i said sound mind sound body sound spirit sound heart it's about yeah. the sound the sounds the that sound. affect our mind yeah yeah to have a sound mind is to have a healing mind you know mm -hmm. but uh, one of the things i wanted to uh, say is that uh, to what advice do you have for people that feel lost you know without no grounding connectedness from what culture or identity stuff you know because i think identity stuff is one of the because identity actually means same sameness you have this hunger to want to to belong mm -hmm. to be same you know if not you're isolated like an island somewhere, you know, don't feel connectedness. So what kind of advice would you give to people that are feeling that way? Well, you know, I had two major singing teachers in my life. And uh, the first one was a Kiowa man. And uh, his wife was a Kiowa as well. And sometimes I would go to their home on Friday and we'd sing all weekend, have a singing session Friday, then Saturday we'd have breakfast. And if it was a ceremony or anything happened, we'd go to the ceremony and sing there. And then Sunday we'd have a, another singing session and maybe a lunch, then I'd go home. And, and my second singing teacher was from Fort Peck, Montana, from Poplar, Montana. His name was Dale Running Bear. I was sitting with Dale one time and he said, hey, Lee, look, and he pulled some grass and he threw it up, it blew in the wind. And he pointed at the grass blowing in the wind and he said, that's how the Indians are becoming, which is the word that he used at that time, the word Indian. Yeah. That's how the Indians are becoming. And he pushed his finger into the dirt. He said, we're losing the root of our existence. And the root of our existence, going back to what we said earlier, is a knowledge that we're born with a gift. We come here for a purpose. He said, Lee, you're going to meet men in your life, native men, who will tell you they don't even know why they were born. They have no sense of purpose, no sense of direction. He said, you got to tell them. You got to tell them, Lee, they have a gift. You have to give them that. That one piece of knowledge alone can give, you know, meaning and purpose to a person's life that uh, the idea that we have a gift that we come here with something that you know, gives our life direction and gives our life movement and purpose. Remember I was counseling a man one time at Round Lake and told me that he you know, didn't like himself. And in fact, he told me he had tried to kill himself. He actually shot himself, mm. you know? but he lived. And uh, he said to me, I don't know why I was born. And I remember what Dale said. Dale said, you're going to meet men that will tell you they don't know why they were born. Mm -hmm. And I said, brother, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I can tell you why you were born. 
you brought a gift here before you left the spirit world to come here. The ancestors gave you something to bring. You didn't come here with nothing. As one of my teachers from the Kuli Reservation in Washington State said, no one comes here with nothing. Everybody comes with something. You know, you have a gift. That, that one piece of knowledge can turn a person's life around. And, and so how does that relate to identity? Well, we talked about the day of the chair, about how emotions relate to our becoming. Now, here's, here's a sentence, Jerry, that's really important in my life. Instinct. Human beings have instinct. You take a baby's foot, you push it like that, the foot's going to go like that. Instinct, Carl Jung said, when instinct becomes conscious, it's emotion. So some, somebody comes behind you and makes a loud noise, you go like that, but then you feel, then you're angry, then you get fight or flight, which becomes hope or fear, the organizing principles of emotion. So instinct becomes emotion. Emotion structures values. And, and, and so take, for instance, courage. Courage is a tribal value. A lot of tribes share. Mm -hmm. Courage, like all values, is made up of emotion. So what are the emotions in courage? Well, one is fear. But there has to be love or compassion or something to overcome the fear. So every value is two or more emotions. So instinct becomes emotion. Emotions become values. Value structure as identity. What is identity? It's how you feel and how you value your physical self. It's how you feel and how you value your mind, your capacity to learn. It's how you feel and how you value your spirit and your culture. It's how you feel and value, value your emotional self, your heart, to, to be on a path of life where you're developing your heart, where you're developing heart knowledge, where you're teaching and training your heart. And at the center of our being, at the center of the medicine wheel, it's how we feel about what we can be. Those are the aspect of identity. So there's body awareness, self-concept in the mind, self-image uh, self in the spirit, self-esteem in the heart, and volition at the center, will. Uh, I'm forgetting the word for that right now. But anyway, we need to teach children what they need to know to feel totally good about their physical being so we should eliminate put downs you know even a joking put down of a child you know of their hair color or their skin color you're too light you're too dark you're too short you're too fat you're too skinny you know by a significant parent or a significant other at a young age can follow them their whole life or it's going to end up feeling bad about their big nose or something no, guy, my friend told me, I have a big nose. I said, you know, I've never even noticed or would have ever thought that you have a big nose. I don't think it's that big, but he did. Yeah. See, it's not, it's not how intelligent you are that determines how you're going to be able to learn. It's how you feel about your intelligence. If, you, if you're a genius, but you, I, I had a counselor, a, a, a native woman one time, it was a test of genius that thought it impossible to do well in school or couldn't go to college because she felt she was stupid. She was made to feel stupid by those around her when she was growing up. You're dumb. You know, you're a dumb Indian kid. And, and that had to be removed before she could progress. She went on to become a teacher, a Montessori, Montessori mm -hmm. teacher. The, if you are, you can be a nice looking person, but if you feel you're ugly, that's going to limit what you do. So we want to make sure that in, in raising our children, that they have a good feeling about their body, a good feeling about their intelligence. It's not how intelligent you are. It's how you use your intelligence. 
every human being is intelligent. And we've had our, as many people, we've had our intelligence put down. <clears throat> we need to reaffirm and revalidate validate our intelligence all the time. I'm always telling the native people around me, my family and others, you're intelligent. I'm, people do intelligent things, I point them out. You're intelligent, Jerry. You look mm -hmm. where it's up to the dictionary. I've, I've always been impressed with your intelligence. True, I'm saying this sincerely now. You're an intelligent man. We need to affirm each other's intelligence. Now, I admire your intelligence. We need to affirm our culture and our spirit. We need to, we need to, and here's a real important point for human growth. We need to learn in the realm of self-esteem to have a feeling about how we feel. So uh, there's a lot of people that go through life feeling, but never really reflecting on what they feel. So they don't grow emotionally. But once you can have a feeling about what you feel, a big word for that is meta-emotional state. So I was counseling a guy when, you know how a lot of a lot of people are angry in our community. So I had a counseling this client, he was an exceptionally angry man. So finally I got in the counseling session to the point where he realized his anger. And he stopped and said, oh man, I've been angry for 25 years. And in a classic emotional statement, I said, well, how do you feel about that? He didn't know he was angry. But now he can have a feeling about the fact that he's angry. How do you feel about being angry? Well, I don't like that. Well, now you can do something about it because you're aware. You have a meta-emotional state. You have a feeling about how you're feeling. We need to make sure our children have that, that they think about feelings. I was hiring a PhD student one time at UBC for a research project I was doing. Just got a PhD, bright, young, you know, incredibly intelligent, happened to be a, a student that had just got their PhD. I said, this, this uh, research project involves looking at people's emotions. We're doing that, some uh, talking circles on the west side of you know, on the east side of Vancouver and East Van and it involves emotion. Oh, she said emotion. I never thought about that. Just got a PhD in education. <laughs> emotions. I never thought about emotions in my whole life. That's not good. People need to be aware of their heart, aware of their heart energies. So instinct becomes emotion. Emotion structures as values. Values become our identity, and our identity should move towards that higher sense of vision that comes through storytelling, that comes through service, and then that becomes a process of becoming in life. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's, the be key, that's the becoming is important. The key to it all is to know that you have a gift. Yeah. You are my gift. I am your gift. Yeah. We are each other's gifts. We're not each other's enemies. We are born as gifts to each other. When yeah. you were born, you brought something. It's for me. It's not for you. You're <laughs> my gift. Yeah. I'm your gift. You know, I'm gifting you here today. You're gifting me. There's 8 billion gifts on the world. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, there are no enemies. There's nobody that's born an enemy. We're only born gifts. Yeah. We are born as a gift to each other. And I think that's the key to, that's the key to, yeah. you know, if you, if you, like we said earlier, if you, if you don't get your gift in life, you miss your life. That's a sad thing. Yeah. That's why we're so lucky to have a culture in which we have ceremonial processes where we can find our gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That whole, when I, you know, I was suicidal at one point in my life. And um, so I went to see this elder in my community and told him that I remember you told me you wanted to teach me. <laughs> you know, I wasn't telling him how I was feeling and stuff. He looks at me, he says, okay. And he took me up the mountain and put me on a fast. Oh. And that's where I got my vision of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. My purpose. Yeah. yeah. Purpose. And I haven't stopped since. <laughs> yeah. Know? So that's that. Because when I first was there, he left me there, took all my clothes, you know, and left me in this little lodge that we built. And he says, you got to look at yourself. 
the first two days I'm thinking this is stupid. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, why am I doing this? You know, and I wanted to go home, but I didn't have any clothes. You know, so so I stayed there on the third day. Because when I was there for two days, I was asking myself, what are you doing here anyway? And the, the answer in my mind was, you are fasting. And the third day, I asked that question again, I am fasting. I started to take ownership for the first time in my life. Wow. Probably since I was a child. As a child, we're pure, basically. So I started to use I words for myself. And it changed yeah. that whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. When I went up on my first fast, which was uh, with the help of Don Matheson, I mentioned earlier. Uh, and you mentioned the hummingbird. What happened to me is a dragonfly landed on my altar. Oh. And actually shed his skin and flew off and left his shell there. Huh. And I looked at that and I thought, that's what I need to do. Yeah. I, I've got a lot of work to do in myself. I have a lot I have to let go of. I was angry at one time. Angry, I mean, I was an angry person as a young person in the protest, in the demonstrations, you know, in this and that. And that's that that dragonfly showed me that I needed to shed. I needed to shed a lot of stuff. I needed to shed my skin. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're probably like my my late mother said, uh, you know, Jerry, there are some people so angry and so mean, they got nobody to bite in the morning, they'll bite themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't meet you then, Lee. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Guy asked me for the time of day and get a punch. <laughs> Well, this has been so enjoyable for me, Lee, you know, to listen and to share. Strong heart, strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. And to know that we were there as a people en masse at one time. En masse, and you're talking about the overrepresentation of diabetes and cancer and all of those things. You know, we were, we didn't have that before. No. No, we were good. We were connected. We were living with our heart, which is compassion, which means a willing participant with other people's suffering. We were generous. We were respectful. And we could reach our potential. So that's a wish for this, these podcasts, is to help people find their gift and reach our potential, whatever it is. You know, so I want to thank you for coming to visit Teachings in the Air today. And I'd like to maybe have you on again at another time. and We can continue the discussion about, you know, about what we've witnessed. Because I know we've got a lot to cover. You know, like, one thing we didn't talk about was dance. And oh, dance yeah, is healing, and it's healing too. It's a powerful healer. So I'd like to revisit that again in another point in the, later on in the fall or something. I'd like to get you back on again. And I'll think about things we've talked about now and then come up with other things I'd like to, you know, ask you about and um, share with you also my experience, like, for instance, around dance mm -hmm. or around herbs, you know, like medicines, you know, the different healing things that are available to us as a people free of cost yeah. you know so i just like to yeah. you know jerry I, I, I wasn't a very good dancer one time in the powwow i was the only guy dancing and i got third <laughs> <laughs> you know when we're free when we're finally free and we're not worried about what people think about us yeah. then we could truly dance like no one's watching you know, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just pure expression. The trouble is, when I dance, no one is watching. <laughs> <laughs> Losing self-consciousness and things like that. Okay, Lee, so, if, um, you know, I always ask my guests to pick one group 
to send a final message to it. it could be little girls little boys elders grandmothers grandfathers or couples or children just send one one more message to a specific group well thinking of the grandchildren my daughter sent me a beautiful message today uh, the one that is the youngest daughter she talked about how you know, her grandparents were fluent speakers of Okanagan. And she's entered a language program and she went to the language nest for the first time. And uh, she talked about how happy, you know, it was and, and how uh, she was so relieved. She was worried about it because, you know, she, she has a fundamental knowledge of the language, but she's not a, really a speaker. And she wants to be a speaker, wants to be a fluent speaker. And she talked about how happy it was to listen to, you know, her uncle talking to her. And a lot of people in the class are relatives. So they're to be with the family for a period of time where everyone is speaking the language, you know. So that's my message. It's really important to learn. I was really inspired by what my daughter said. And I think my message is to the young people, learn your language. It's the greatest thing you can do. I told my daughter that the most valuable thing you can do is for yourself right now at this point in your life is learn your language. You'll never regret it. Yes, I agree with you. And I know we can do it. I was in yeah. Israel. I was in Israel a couple of years ago before the pandemic. Yeah. The cab driver was talking to me. I said, are you born in Israel? He says, oh no, Poland. Came here as a child, you know, my mother and them, um, we had to flee. Mm -hmm. And he says, and I got here, people asked me if I speak Hebrew. I say, no. And they said, okay, we're going to teach you. <laughs> and he says, the only ones that knew the language strong before were the rabbis doing it in ceremony. Mm -hmm. And I was so inspired by that, that we can teach each other one word at a time. And that's where we're at right now. We're doing it in ceremony. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what, exactly where we're at. Yeah. Okay, we're running out of time here, Lee. So I just wanted to thank you again. And I'll invite you again to come back to Teachings on the Air. And um, just so happy to have you.